Hi, welcome back to Season 3, Episode 7 of Philippine X and Wellness. I'm super excited to bring this episode to you all. It's a special one that we uh, collaborated with This Filipino American Life on, specifically Joe Bernardo and Elaine Dolales. Uh, we are interviewing lawyer Marival Zielcita to talk to her about estate planning and financial wellness. We talk about a multitude of topics ranging from the different types of trusts you can set up for your family. We talk about revocable versus irrevocable trusts, last will and testament, how you can also secure property abroad in the Philippines if you have property there. So sit back and we hope that you enjoy the episode. Maayong Adlao, welcome back to Season 3, Episode 7 of Philippine X and Wellness. I'm really excited about this episode. We're collaborating with our TFAL podcast family, Elaine Dolales and Joe Bernardo, to bring you an episode on estate planning with lawyer Maribel Zielcita. Thank you all for joining us. Yay! Thanks for having me. Yeah. Air horns, air horns. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank yeah. you. Well. Now, it's, it, I've been wanting to collaborate with you all because of all the ways that you've inspired me to launch this podcast and and just really talk about wellness in our community. So, yeah, no, I just, I, I'm in awe of all, like, you all have led the way and lit the torch for the rest of us. So, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, for sure. <laughs> I've also sought guidance from y'all, so I well, appreciate you. I hope it was good. No, for sure. No, e- Elaine, Elaine lights the torch and then uh, Ryan passes the gas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. like Ryan farts. <laughs> I was trying to make it poetic, you know. <laughs> I just made it crass because that's who I am. <laughs> oh man, I love laughter. You know, humor is medicine and a part of wellness. You know, I think humor is one thing that really gets our community through some really difficult times. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And it's been, I think we've been overdue in really having a episode on financial wellness. Um, I think that's really big and pertinent to our community. And what better way to start by talking about estate planning. So Marivel, I love to open up with one thing that Filipinos always ask you whenever they meet you. Uh, where is your family from in the Philippines? Thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, this is really exciting. Any chance I get to be in front of our community. Uh, I love doing that just because, you know, there's so much that we can learn from each other and contribute. So thanks a lot. Uh, my family is uh, from Lawag. So we're in the northern Ilocos Norte region. Uh, we're Ilocano. And some of us migrated to Hawaii. Some of us migrated to San Francisco. Uh, and the other half of us are in Los Angeles. So uh, I'm first generation here in the United States, so um, yeah, but we're we're very Ilocano. 
<laughs> nice. Gurley's a Locano. Yeah. She's from Cagayan. But um, oh. in, I think I believe it's Loak. They have a monument to Filipino migrants. Because mm-hmm. uh, Ilocanos were like the the kind of the historically the most migratory uh, peoples in the Philippines. Yeah, wow. we we actually were one of the first to migrate to. That's why uh, in Hawaii, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so they're explorers for sure. I have family from Loag, but like they're in laws, so it's like not like I'm not Ilocano, so it's not like my family in particular. But that, <laughs> no, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and I think everyone has an extension of Ilocano in their family. Right. Like I also married like half Ilocano, so someone has. I mean, right. y'all are everywhere for sure. <laughs> you know that saying in the Philippines, right? They say you're you're either Filipino or Ilocano, so <laughs> it's very very true. <laughs> Yeah. And where where are you at now? Where are you at these days? Um, I my practice actually, my law practice is based in Claremont, Los Angeles. Okay. And I live in Ontario Ranch, East Vale area now. Um and and I would say it's the next little Manila because there's so many I think really? new families moving out this way. Um I grew up in San Diego and uh and and I think like Cheryl and Elaine, we went to UC Irvine, right? Yeah. Uh, and then and then I went to San Diego for law school, Cal Western for law school. So I'm a Southern California girl, born and raised. Nice, nice. Irvine connections, zot zot zot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's for you're a gaucho. It's our mascot, right? Our mascot's the ant eater. It's right here. I guess that's the sound they made. I don't know. Ant eater said, "Zot zot eater." Zot zot zot. Got it at a conference. Won it at a conference. Love them. Love Peter. It was Yeah. Now we're gonna just dive in and talk about the your practice of law, estate planning. So. What got you into this area and um, tell us about what estate planning is? You know, so I do have an an estate planning uh, origin as well. So I knew I was going to be an estate planning attorney when I was five years old. I said I was going to be an attorney. I was in San Diego and I, my mom and dad, I was in the backseat. We drove past California Western School of Law and I, I, you know, leaned over to them and said, I'm going to go there. They said, you you know, Hanak, you have some time. That is. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I sure enough did. I went there um, and I just knew very early on for some reason that my parents were here working very, very hard. Uh, they were professionals and and they were uh, helping their family. Um, and I knew that they were building, but newly building here. And I, I, I already I knew that just from being around them. Um, and I. I just eventually knew that I wanted to help other families um, make sure that they knew or we know that we can also give and uh, gather and accumulate and give to the next generation as well. Um, and I guess it's been my purpose to, to, to spread the word that we can save some for the next generation as well, you know? So that's what that, that's been my mission really 
So can you tell us like a little bit about like what exactly is estate planning? And then, you know, I hear this word about like, uh, I don't want to say buzzword, but it's a word about like um, generational wealth, right? Can you talk Mm -hmm. about kind of the relationship between estate planning and generational wealth? So I think... They call it black letter law. What the what the law actually states it is versus what 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 in reality it it is, right? So black letter law, I think, states that estate planning is the process in which an individual or a family uh, transfers or plans to transfer their assets in anticipation of their death. So that's really what the true the de- the definition of estate planning is, but mm-hmm. that's such a loaded definition, even if you really think about it. So I've been practicing for almost twenty years now, and I realize that to me, or to in my office anyway, we think of it as uh, how to protect your life because you're still living when you come to me, right? To do mm-hmm. to 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 participate in this planning. Uh, and how to protect your assets uh, in death. And we say your legacy, basically. So that mm-hmm. can be generational wealth. We say that and we think first of assets, of, of true wealth, monetary assets, right? Or real estate portfolio or things like that. But I always start with the family. So I always bring people back and say, hopefully, maybe the most important reason why you're starting this process is because you've have yourself to think of, you have your family to think of, and what do you want to pass to them? So in that process, we're thinking of also traditions. We're also thinking of, are they a charitable family? Are they, is there something historically that they've done throughout the generations? So we want to make sure that we're helping them transfer that and include their beneficiaries in that process as much as they can. Because other than that, it's just stuff, you know, that people are going to receive eventually. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the time, um, don't take pride in how it was built. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of spinned it a little in my office. And that's how we that's how we look at it. Um, And that's what we call generational wealth. I think traditionally, generational wealth is thought of as, you know, family businesses, um, portfolios, things like that, which is the product and the tools of that wealth, I think. Um, but to us, it's really about the families. So we try to keep that in mind in every plan that we, in, you know, that we plan. Can you so, give an example of that? Like, what, what's yeah. an example of someone passing on, you know, more than just stuff, um, like to the uh, family? To, to their Joe, generation. I can answer generation. that question. What? Other than trauma. I can answer that. Trauma. No, 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 no. <laughs> The last episode we dropped like, is about I'm trauma. Be here and watch no, this. No, so <laughs> I can answer this question in the fact that I had to work. I had to work with an uh, estate attorney when my dad passed away in 2020 because there was no will and testament, because mm. there was nothing in place um but my mother was still alive even though her faculties were not there because she had cardiovascular dementia the rest of my family yelled at me and told me you need to get shit done you need to put your house in a trust you need to get a will drafted for your mom so that it's written in paper somewhere um you need to do x y and z things and so um a lot of it was 
I put my parents' house in a trust so that it wouldn't go to probate. Um, so that now that my mother has recently passed in this April, it's not going to the state. It's in a trust and I am listed on it. So like, mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about it. Um, so that's one asset that's there. My parents also had several annuities and IRAs that existed. So those are a part of the estate process <laughs> in that in the trust process that I'm still trying to wrangle because my parents had accounts that I did not know existed. And I'm mm -hmm. now getting notices that it needs to be claimed or it's going to get sent to the state. Because I didn't know. Because my parents were yeah. those Filipinos who made no no plan whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just like property and it's not just like bank accounts. It's also like that type of stuff that folks need to consider. Because like they didn't tell me any of this. And i am basically been like a forensic like financial detective trying to figure all of it out. And like folks, if you have the ability to do it now, I would say meet with an attorney to like get this done. It's just, it's a pain in the butt, like doing it after the fact. And like, I'm still in the thick of it because my mom has a bunch of assets that I need to like process. Um, however, when I'm done with this, I am going to probably retain the attorney I currently am working with because they're a family friend and do this stuff for myself because it's just I don't want my family to have to deal with what I'm dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think I would say taking your example and what you're going through, Elaine, I would say um, if I could reach families before that, you know, <laughs> stage, if I could reach families, well, I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you this. I have clients sometimes that will come to my office because I my office is based, like I said, in Claremont, California. And I, I don't know if anyone's aware of that, but there's five different, very well-known, prestigious colleges right in the immediate vicinity of Claremont. So if you can imagine the type of families that are dropping their kids off to college there, and there's a lot of what we call generational wealth just in that area alone because of it. And they are making appointments before school starts to bring their children to my office to create powers of attorneys for them just in case something happens while they're in college and their parents aren't local. So if I could get someone to understand, and I've always thought about this, if we can get our younger generations into some seminars or something, because, you know, we all know they don't teach this kind of stuff in school, right? Mm -hmm. But if there was some financial kind of class in which we could start instilling very young that these kinds of things are possible now, you know, our, our, our families came here, our parents came here, however we all did. There's a similar story there where they wanted a better life for us and, and such. So why don't we participate in that? And the younger they are, when they understand that you can put things in place so that you can dictate the way your assets or your physical being is taken care of if something happens to you physically, mentally, financially, but you know, then um, you have the you you can you have choices. Um, if you don't, the probate code actually says dictates what happens and who's in charge of what and in what order. So so I, I think it's really if I could get every family or every person, individual person to understand that it's never too young. Uh, you're never too young to start thinking about these things 
um, I think that we would put ourselves in a better situation. Trust and estate planning, estate planning, I think truly is one of those areas of law that can that can truly be, we can plan moving forward proactively instead of reactively. Like in the situation you're finding yourself feeling in, right, with your family. Yeah, so so that's, that's, that's always, a, uh, I think, if I can get them like that, then, right, or, or I have the new families, and I tell the new families, you know, you have a baby. So if that's not the most important thing in your life, I don't know what is. And if something happened to you right now, what's your plan? you know, for your baby. So it's so extremely important to 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 get the, this type of planning done. How do you even, like, mm. I tried to have that conversation with my dad. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. what happens if and when you pass? And he was like, oh, don't worry about it. It all goes to you anyway. I'm an only child. I have no siblings. So he was just right. like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll go to you. And he was very nonchalant about it. And I'm like, that's yes it does go to me but like it's not a simple process like um when I call banks and stuff like they consider me a third party until I give them a death certificate how would you tell like a a a fellow philam like how to approach it with their families and and in certain situations actually they uh, people don't understand that husband and wives don't you would think that husband and wives have a full rights and authority uh, an agency over everything and dealing with finances and physical well-being with your spouse, but you don't in certain situations, okay? So how do I, you know, we're in a very interesting situation. I think all of us actually now here, um, we're at that age where we have some say-so you know, in our families um, and they hear us. So I'm always saying now is the time. We are that sandwich generation in which a lot of us are first generation Filipino and we're very Filipino traditionally, but we're also very American in that, in the sense that we know that certain things work a certain way. And I always tell everyone that comes through my office, it's always gonna be that child that helps bring the parents to the table because it's going to make all the generations, your our children's generations, our parents' generation, who you know doesn't want to deal with any of this. It's it's that person in the family that's going to be able to bring them to the table. I try to create seminars and such in which I will have all of them there because nothing's going to get done if it's you know maybe just the parents. I kind of do it opposite with my Filipino families because mm-hmm. I need the family involved. Um, in every other given situation, I require that it's just the parents, you know? So it's kind of interesting to me um, the way I approach it with my Filipino families because they already are thinking, our, our parents are thinking, that's not what I'm here to do. I put you through school. <laughs> this is what's going on. You're going to yeah. take care, care, care of everything. And actually, a lot of the times, they'll want to create their estate plan and leave it to the oldest child to distribute and take care of everything or whatnot. And I'm trying to tell them, you know, that's probably the worst thing you can do. And it doesn't compute, right? Because that's not what we do. But uh, there's tax burdens, there's legal burdens, there's, 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 there's things across the board that we have to think about. And we don't, even though we um, sometimes put that on one person in the family, it needs to be a shared experience. So... 
So it's it's a difficult process sometimes, but you know, I'm 20 years in as an attorney and Filipinos every day are looking for me now and they find my office mm-hmm. now and they and now I have a good solid referral base in which trust is so important. Your reputation and trust is so important. We just need more, I call them, you know, we just need more warriors out there to make sure that this gets done. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that we're talking about estate planning and really bringing it to the forefront, especially because I've seen the complexities of it. So with within my own personal story, I, I've seen the complexities within my family from just not wanting to talk about it or like not knowing how to appropriately do it because back in the Philippines, right? I've had family members that have been torn apart by like land distribution, by property, by right grabs. You yeah. said show yeah. you said yes, shooting each other, right? And and then that we come beam. <laughs> right. Joe just then, posted a meme on TFL of that where it was literally every every actor in the scene had a gun and pulled it out. Yeah. <laughs> My parents had property that there's they have squatters living on. And they don't know what to do with that, right? And then they they come here into the US and they're having to live now with this uh, within this American paradigm. And so within my family I've seen trusts not done properly or they paid a lawyer for cheap and then it was a revocable trust versus an irrevocable trust and then things got changed last minute right and then so someone loses out or um, family members where they passed away before the trust was established so now they're in probate you know um, all these different situations or I even have friends just coming with me coming to me, asking me how to even have that conversation with their parents. Um, because it's like what Elaine said. Their parents are like, oh, no, we don't need to talk about this. We already have it planned out. Um, you all will just figure it out when you when we pass away. But then there's all these other things that can happen in between, right? Mm-hmm. So, So all the other things that can happen in between, we see it every day in my office. I'm actually court-appointed counsel for San Bernardino County in conservatorship and guardianship probate matters. And a lot of that deals with mental incapacitations or mental disabilities, you know. So I deal a lot with aging seniors that have advanced dementia and Alzheimer's or children or, or, or adult children that have um, some sort of uh, diagnosis already, you know, uh, mm-hmm. dealing with um, uh, advanced autism, uh, mental disabilities. Um, and some of that is, you know, like the dementia and Alzheimer's, we can diagnose early on, but it's not, it never goes back to the way it, it, it progresses the other way and sometimes very quickly, you know? So it's really important to know that things happen in between, like you're saying, Cheryl. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of clients that have actual diagnosis and the doctors have told them how long they have to live, you know, approximately. Um, and we always make those a priority in the office because we know they know that they have, even though we all know that we're not going to live forever, it's in those moments where it's extremely tangible, you know, um, and we have to take care of it right then and there for everyone else that, you know, is aging naturally, 
and one day is going to pass away, is going to die. That's the struggle really as to when do they come in or when does that happen? My goal is really to just do things like this. My goal is really to if um, keep spreading knowledge, uh, sponsoring events, being out there in the community so that people, if there's one person that comes up to me and says, I really need to talk to you, da, 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 da or someone that's really proactive and says, I need to make an appointment um, because of whatever it is, right? We always follow up with that individual because they've taken the time to really stop and, and inquire, right? So it's our, it's our job in my office. I tell them, you know, it's our job really to bring them that knowledge. We don't know when in the spectrum of life someone will come back to us because they'll leave with that knowledge and whatever triggers them to come back or find another attorney or whatever, great. But um, we just know that we just have to continue to keep spreading that knowledge. When I was first practicing, uh, it was really hurtful to me personally. I would say to myself, ah, they really need this, da 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 But you can only do so much. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of just realized that as long as we're spreading that knowledge, um, and if people are curious enough to, to make inquiries, and it's our job really to guide them through that process, you know? Um, and a lot of the times it's going to be just one person in the family, someone creating some trust, and then in my office, we've created a plan to invite them to events, to ask them, do they have anyone else, you know, that 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 they want to include in this. And a lot of the times it's going to be because sometimes it's just the parents that are creating the trust. But they have a, they have adult children that should have their own trust, you know, mm -hmm. or they have named those adult children as their successor trustees. We want to know who those successor trustees are. We want to bring them into the fold and we want to talk to them about now who are your children or your beneficiaries and how are we going to plan for, for that? Um, and it's starting to happen. I think, I think that, like I said, we're in that sandwich generation now, mm -hmm. especially a lot of us, um, Filipino Americans that are now, I would say in our forties, you know, or so, um, we're in a position to really understand what, what that type of planning means and, and what it, and how hurtful it could be to our families if it's not done, so. Uh, can I ask you like, uh, what was it like dealing with this with your own family? So um, my my dad passed away in 2009 mm. and I was mid-career in the right early years in of my career and they created a trust with me, but I, t I tell you, it, it was like pulling teeth, right? Mm -hmm. And I kept telling them how embarrassing if something happens to you guys and your daughter who's an estate attorney didn't take care of this you know my mom and we say it jokingly but my mom would say you should ask your boss and i'm like mom i'm the boss <laughs> like, this is my office. <laughs> oh my gosh uh, i don't think so <laughs> ready <laughs> who do you answer to i'm like oh my god so me i, I answered about me. it right <laughs> joke about it but it was a struggle but it was uh but here, here is something actually I don't really disclose on, on to anyone really. But pre-pandemic, my mom's entire side of her family, and there's eight siblings, except my mom, all of them passed away within a span of several years. Oh, wow. And that really oh, taught gosh. me a lesson <laughs> in life, in death, in how quickly it could just snatch everything away, right? 
And mm-hmm. it really made me have reverence in that for that process. So um, my family eventually caught on, and the entire family, because we all just needed to, you know. But it's really helped me understand how extremely important it is for families. Um, but it took a lot. It took a lot for my own parents to understand that they're not going to die once they mm-hmm. read their documents, you know. Mm-hmm. Or we're not going to, you know, we're not going to die from discussing it. Luckily, uh, I want to have those hard conversations. And when I, I've noticed now, when I am in front of someone who I'm now in, you know, in the, in my conference room and they're my parents' age, they're Filipino, the old, you know, the older generation for me, I'm first starting with making sure I'm respectful, which is interesting because I don't, I say hello I shake hands with everyone else, but when I'm with a Filipino family, I will go to the oldest person in the room and I will say, hello, Tito. I will sometimes mano them. You know, I will focus on who I know is that person in the room and then I will work backwards. And sometimes I will have to tell my the children who are my peers, I need you to please be quiet, you know, because I need to hear what, I need to do this right now and not because I want to be rude, but because I know that that's what the parents need. Mm. And I figure that out, especially with Filipino, with, with my Filipino clients, is they want to know that I'm there specifically for them, but I'm still younger and respectful to them. And it makes the world of difference. Wow. That's so interesting yeah. because, like, you know, it's hard for especially the immigrant generation to, <laughs> to trust younger people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's why we have a lot of these problems. Right. So like, if yeah. you deal. Yeah. If you build and that trust, then like figure that out. Yeah. But as soon as I figure that out uh, and it's just, you know, it's ingrained in us. It's something that no one else would have figured out Yeah, about totally. our culture. Right. Yeah. Do you speak Tagalog or Ilocano? Um, you know, I, I, I don't fluently. I probably understand more Ilocano than Tagalog, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Yeah. And when I'm, and sometimes I even dream in Ilocano, but I nice. think when I was growing up, I was, I spoke Ilocano fluently. And then when I started school, my whole family stopped, stopped, stopped talking Ilocano in the house for some reason. Oh, wow. um, and I hear that's, that's common with our generation. And I don't know why, but huh. um, I know that they have different Tagalog classes and such, but I haven't huh. found an Ilocano class that I really, you know, that that's that teaches Ilocano, but we start we're now talking Ilocano whenever we can. The cousins, um, to my nieces and nephews, you know. Oh, that's awesome. I was yeah. wondering if like that would be helpful when you're like dealing with like older clients or like, you know, to have that. Cause I've I've noticed and like as a community organizer, like when you were when I would be working with Filipino like older or immigrant populations. The fact that I can't speak Tagalog was a hindrance. But if I like put upon the accent and like acted and like kind of was deferential, it eased mm-hmm. the process in terms of the conversation. So I was wondering yeah, like yeah. how that would played into your work. I have a couple staff members that speak fluent Tagalog. Mm. So that's very, very helpful in my office. And I knew I needed that in my office just for the comfortableness factor and trust mm-hmm. factor. But, but, um, but yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are like classes in Hawaii that speak like, you know, like Ilocano classes. I know, sure. I know. 
And I, 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 you know how you said you dream in Ilocano. I dream, I dream in Ilocano empanadas. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're so good. They're so good. I thought you were going to have them. I dream in vegan longanisa. <laughs> that too, that too. <laughs> I have not had Ilocano empanadas. Oh yes. my gosh. Oh, Where to so get good. them? There's a they vendor. don't really make them very... I don't see them around here too you often. You don't find them, like, yeah, you don't find them in stores or, like, in a restaurant or anything. Maybe right. some, but, like, um, there are some vendors out there that will make it and they'll, they'll caravan to different, like, locations and sell it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> I so know. I, I was about to order you just, like, a, a basic, <laughs> just a basic question, like, what exactly is a trust? And then what Cheryl talked about, what's irrevocable and revocable trust? What are the okay. So a trust is basically a contract. And a trust can take, there's many forms of a trust, different types of trust for different functions. But the two main categories of them are, and you're correct, revocable and irrevocable. So revocable trusts really are going to be those pass-through entities because they're attached to your social security numbers, whoever's creating the trust. Um, and they are the, the, the creators of the trust, the trustors, the makers of the trust or, or, or handlers of the trust, or the assets in the trust, the trustees, and they're also the beneficiaries for their lives. So it's a very unique contract because you're all the parties in the contract. Usually when you have a contract, it's with another person or another entity or another company or something. But you as the individual or a married couple or however you're creating the trust, you're all the parties in the contract. And then we'll name within that contract who the uh, people that will manage the trust when you're gone, who those people will be and who will benefit from the trust. But like I said, the revocable trusts are pass-through entities. The assets you put in there should be really truly those assets that you are, your primary residence maybe and maybe some of your primary bank accounts, personal accounts and such. Irrevocable trust now have have been we we've started to use irrevocable trust or use irrevocable trust for tax planning purposes mainly now, um, and to minimize estate taxes upon death. That's how we use irrevocable trusts a lot of the time. But revocable trusts will be irrevocable or can be irrevocable if you plan if you plan it correctly at the death of the first spouse. Some assets will freeze. As far as who can get what, you can still use it, right? Or it will become for sure irrevocable if you've drafted it correctly at the death of both, both in, let's say, a married couple. So no one can make changes to the terms of it at that point. Your successor agents can only distribute as according to your your trust. So, um, I, I, I so 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 that's really basically what a tr the trusts are. Um, and it, it really simply in its simplest form, you know, a contract. So with, so since I experienced like revocable trusts and I've seen family members make those changes, so that was what can happen, right? With revocable trusts, you can just make the change and sell that person, I guess, a parent. Well, that's what it do. So if the trust was drafted in such a way where they allowed for something like that, then I would say that's probably poor drafting. Mm. Um, but my my trust actually, and majority of trusts, I think, if drafted properly, uh, doesn't allow for anyone other than the original creators to make changes to a trust. 
Mm. So if they made a change to a trust somehow, it was either because they fraudulently went and did it on their own without any, um, without going to the attorney or whatnot, or if they did go to an attorney for some reason in the documents, it either gave them authorization to do that, which it shouldn't, they, it shouldn't have, or, mm. or they didn't have authorization and no one sued them. Oh, oh so I mean, that, like, so it would then have to be be on the family members and it would like they would need to sue they'd have to sue each other yeah Yeah. well standing to sue and bring a trust to court and that's going to be people that benefit from the trust right or have uh, a certain standing under the probate code so a lot of the times if uh someone tried someone made changes to an actual trust and they didn't have authorization to do that then it's going to be one of the beneficiaries of the prior version of that trust that has standing to bring uh, that trust to probate court and ask the court to invalidate it. Well, cause um, it's not the first time. I mean, outside of my family, I've heard uh, people say that when a parent was dying, they would bring that like changes to that trust. Uh, so if they're, get that signature. To, if they're bringing changes to a trust to a parent on a deathbed and the parent right. is signing it, the parent... right. If they're of cognitive, you know, sound mind, they can do whatever they want, right? But assume that if they're on their deathbed, there's certain factors involved, and maybe they're not of sound mind at that point in time. um, Then they would have to take, they would have to challenge the trust. And I do a lot of that. Actually, majority of my practice right now is trust trust challenges, because people will get trust done online or do them on their own or. And and everyone is suing everyone right now for mm-hmm. within within that realm of trust challenges and elder abuse. I mean, Cheryl, I would bring a petition Ugh. for family, and yeah. I do this all the time. Unfortunately, you know, where we're saying we want to invalidate this trust, we want to remove the trustee because they've put themselves in that position to 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 act for the trust, and want to validate the prior version and put someone else as trustee and make distribution at that point. We're also, along with that, suing for elder abuse, fraud, misappropriation of assets, conversion. There's so much that we can bring, but it's, you know, now we're litigating. But I will tell you, majority of these cases will settle because they they don't want the family. The families don't want that strength. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many layers, Elaine, right? There's It's family. There's there's an actual paper trail of this. There's medical records, right? Yeah. So a lot majority of these cases will settle. My goal and I, you know, whether people say this is right or wrong, my goal in these situations when we get to that point, unfortunately, is I know that one day I'm no longer going to be attorney of record and all these individuals are still going to be family, whether they like it or not, whether they talk to each other ever again or not. So I'm grateful that I have other colleagues that practice in this area of mm-hmm. law that understand this as well. And we all, it, it's actually a smaller community of uh, trust and state litigators than you would think. We all know each other and we all agree that we need to bring these families to the table first to discuss this. They might not heal, it might the healing might come way later, but we're gonna try to put them in best case scenario in order for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's settling whether people have to compromise or whatnot, you know? Uh-huh. So yeah, so much, so much fighting. This is why you bring guns to the family. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I mean, we might have listeners that might be listening to you right now, Maribel. There yeah. are statute limitations. Okay. So it's case by case basis at that point, right? Because right. the law says if you knew of a wrongdoing and you were right. aware of a wrongdoing, we'll give you a certain amount of time to sue on those terms or whatever it is. Okay. But there's a lot of different statute limitations for fraud, conversion. There's different elder abuse, right? Yeah. So and trust in the state, actually. So um so it really just depends. It depends on the case, but mm. you know, it, it you know. If like, almost, then. I almost think that this is why Filipinos don't want to talk about this. Yeah. Because yeah. there's yeah. too much, like, conflict. There's too much drama. So that is why, like, for many of us, our parents' generation was like, we're just not going to talk about it and you'll have to deal with it. And it's, uh, it's basically the same cycle of not necessarily abuse or trauma, but the same cycle of. We don't know what the heck we're doing, so we're just going to make it so you don't know what the heck you're doing either. Well, it's also coming from scarcity, right? Like yeah. When you're, like, yeah. battling yeah. for, for like, uh, smaller and smaller pieces of the pie, right? So, right. Um, I have we're, a, we're, we're actually, Joe, if they thought about it much sooner, way, way before, they would have guidance as to how to uh, look at it abundantly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question. Uh, so, you know, being Filipino, Filipino-American, you know, we are a transnational community. And so I was wondering what happens to like transnational assets. So so, mm-hmm. um, like land in the Philippines. For example. Yeah. That's a huge well, I kind of question a lot. <laughs> She's gonna say, she can't that. do shit. Because I know, she doesn't know, know, the Philippines. become an expert. Right. Yeah. Because be- being first generation. We have parents that own land still in the Philippines or real estate or are now or have inherited it somehow, but it's tied up somehow, right? And it's, and it's our one, I will say I ha- more often than not, when I meet with a Filipino family, they will ask me that question. You know, by the way, I have, my parents have land in the Philippines and no one wants to talk about it, but what do we do about that? Because in reality, it's one of our actual physical ties still Mm -hmm. right to the philippines so but i get this question a lot because of the dynamic of Mm. who we are and where we Mm -hmm. are in our lives so um uh, my office actually does a ton of power of attorney documents for uh we don't have reciprocity with the philippines Mm -hmm. when it comes to contracts and documents and such in trust and estate however we can create documents here like powers of attorneys we get it a postal stamp. We take it mm-hmm. to the Philippines. It's very specific as to who can take what uh, actions on behalf of you and your family in the Philippines. And then I have uh, clients that have a percentage, a portion of different things in the Philippines, in which, and especially land. And if you're a if you're a citizen here and not a dual of the Philippines, then you can't own land in any mm-hmm. other circumstance but inheritance. So. We have partnered up, and and I actually am constantly looking for attorneys in the Philippines that can assist us with different transfers because it just depends if it's in the province or if it's in in Manila or Mm -hmm. Makati, fine, Cebu uh, City, fine. But if we're like in Lawag, actually, I have to find an attorney over here because it's just a different system, you know? I'll let you know I am in that right now. 
all the things that you had just said, <laughs> mm. the apostle, da 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 da. Because yeah. my mom passed away, it became my burden to now um, inherit whatever share of the my family's properties on her, with her siblings. So my mom right. was one mm. of nine, and there are um, well, actually one of ten. The first one died in the Philippines because you always. They, every Filipino family seems to have a story. And now my mom is the first of her living siblings to pass. Yeah. Yeah. And so now the eight of them are figuring out how to sell this property. They had to get an apostle, a power of attorney. My uncle was there for a vacation and he just had to do all these things and get something notarized. And let me tell you, with this current administration, nothing is going to get done if you're American. Because my right. uncle went to go get a, a piece of paper notarized. The notary reviewed it and told him the initial quote on the phone was 300 pesos. The notary told him upon reading the documentation, it's going to be 1,800 pesos. And my uncle got pissed because he was like, why? Why are you, why is it so much? You're, you're literally just notarizing this, right? You're just legally just saying this is what it is. And the guy said, oh, it was because, oh, it's because the land that is being discussed in this document is worth so much money. That That's not, yeah. what does that yeah. have to do with anything? You're a notary. It's like, what are you? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, it is. It's like everything that we had heard about in the 80s under the previous administration's father's regime is happening right now. So yeah. if you are a kid right now with parents with land in the Philippines, you might need to wait it out. I don't know, because I straight up told my family, bribe who you need to bribe. I don't care. Get this thing done because I'm the one the one cousin in this in this conversation. And I'm going to let you know the rest of your children don't want to deal with this. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. And I've actually told them I've said to them, if I could, I would tell you I want none of this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I straight up told one of my titas this and I said, if I could, I would do that. But I know you and you would tell me, no, my mom would tell my mom would not want that. My mom would want her part of this. Right. And I'm like, but it's my mom's not here. It's me. And I'm like, bribe whoever the hell it is you need to bribe because this is ridiculous. And I know as a lawyer, you can't agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) That's not sound legal advice. (laughs) It's not sound legal advice. I am not an attorney. Thank God. Uh, But things things also operate differently in the Philippines because I had to also look into that process personally, you know, and they do. They, they call their price points. I feel sometimes. Or often, yeah, and and obviously, if they, it's just the way it is, we've all had yeah. to deal with the. It's a different price for us, kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's really been a matter of finding people I trust. Um, and sometimes we pay more for certain things. Sometimes we don't. You know, for me, it really depends on how we're trying to get it done. You know, for the family and time constraints as well. Um, and there's also. I think uh, you know tax issues as well under, mm-hmm. under under everything we're dealing with with the states. So one of my biggest jobs, actually, I think I'm not I don't, I'm not a tax attorney per se, but one of the biggest jobs or um, most important jobs I think for a trusted estate attorney is really to always be mindful of the different tax burdens associated with estates and transfers and uh, international 
um, assets and such. So I just need to know that I have people that I trust in order to accomplish certain things, you know, uh, and and what they do over there and how they get it done over there. I just need them to get it done. So, yeah. Are there lawyers like in the Philippines that, I don't know, is there, it's their expertise to deal with like a land of people abroad? <laughs> that makes sense. That'd be such a good practice. Yeah, there's actually, and actually I think, I don't know what the rules are exactly in the Philippines as far as, because here now still, I think in other states, you can own a law practice even or have um, interest in a law practice and not be a licensed attorney. California doesn't have that yet. Oh, But I think yeah. in the Philippines, some of the situations I've seen or people that I have met in the industry, they're actually working in-house at a title company or some sort of brokerage firm. So their attorneys working mm -hmm. in-house is what I found. And then I have a few contacts that are, you know, um, at a law firm, so that deal with this type of, of stuff. Because it's a, it's it's more of a thing now than it was before, where you have mm -hmm. children in the states or wherever around the world that are inheriting assets um, uh, from a deceased parent. So, mm -hmm. all the people who fled the Philippines in the yeah. 70s and 60s during the brain drain yeah, no, no, passing away. No, for sure. And land in the Philippines. Yeah, and yeah. now it's their children's yeah. burden to like figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it truly, truly is if you don't work in the system over there. And I've actually, I think, uh, it's, 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 I've been to the Philippines almost every year of my life, just on mm. trips and such. So I understand, I, I, I understand, I think even a little bit more so than if, than an, a, a regular individual that's never been to the Philippines or was raised here, maybe has gone on vacation a few times or whatnot. Um, and my family actually in the Philippines is into politics and I have a couple of attorneys and judges in my family over there. So I, I'm in the legal field over there as well. Um, and it's, it's hard navigating that. The other thing that I get from my Filipino families, their parents then are passing and they've worked in the Philippines. So they have pensions and things like that in the Philippines as well, that their moms and dads or, you know, lump sum oh of both their passings or whatnot can receive. So I help a lot of families with that as well. And it just so happened to to be things that I, I help my family with, you know? Yeah. So I know boots on the ground, running yeah. around in Lawag, actually. They call it SSS, not SSA, Social Security Administration. There's this SSS running around to the bank and back back over there and then having to go to another bank because why aren't they linked? I was like, what do you mean <laughs> they're not linked? What do you mean your system's not linked? Yeah. <laughs> you have to go to the other bank in the other province. What? I have that experience in what could happen in these situations, you know? But those are some of the big things that I'm seeing in my, my um, estate plans with my uh, Filipino families. So yeah. I have a question. Let's bring it back um, to the U.S. Okay. Okay. We have our community totally listening to this episode and they're like, okay, so I understand the importance of doing this, but what does it entail? Like what, what are, what are the meetings and like how many meetings are involved? Talk, talk more about the process. So from the time that I have a full intake, I call it an intake. By the, t okay. by, by the time I have a full completed intake, it'll take me about a month turnaround time. And those are for a regular revocable living trust plan. So when I meet with a family, if they want to retain me, I'll send them an intake form that I've put together through the years. 
it now they can fill it out electronically and it's really just a series of questions in a certain order that will have them disclose to me all the moving parties all of their biological or adopted children any outliers that i need to know of you know um who were their uh, trusted team financial advisors uh cpas whoever they use or don't use you know where are those gaps and where are those holes what type of assets they have, full disclosure. And I tell them that's why trust is such a big issue in this field because they are going to tell me everything to the penny, right? So what type of assets do you have? I need the deeds. Um, and it goes down the list of bank accounts, uh, life insurance, retirements, other brokerage types of accounts. We have offshore um, entities or assets and then the design. So that's all of the intake that I need from them in order for me to get a good idea as to what they have. The de I call it the design. The, the design really is everything else. Who's going to be acting for you while you're alive? In what capacities? Financial, medical, in what order? Who are going to be your agents when you're gone? And then we talk about beneficiaries of certain assets specifically, or generally we call them residual assets, right? Or beneficiaries. And then we start drafting the plan. So then I'll have some, you know, in between that month or so that I'm drafting, we might have a draft meeting uh, to go over what we have so far. Um, and are there any major changes or things like that that they want to discuss or whatnot? And that's where life happens. That's where all the life disclosures are. I have a special needs child or my parent is aging or I've just been diagnosed and da, da, da. So we will have talked about all this at the beginning. So I have a broad understanding but, but during the timeline of getting it done and drafting, we revisit all of those points because I've made notes, you know, and remembered um, as to what we have to revisit. And th those are going to be the, the life stuff. Um, who's an alcoholic? Who's the doctor in the family? And uh, they want them to make the decisions when it comes to medical, you know, things like that. All of that comes out during that dra uh, design session. We review it. If it works, great. We're going to have another meeting in which we bring the notary in, review it at one final time. Mm -hmm. And then at the very, very end, when everything is executed and in place, I will talk to them about what we call funding. And funding is how do you transfer assets and how do we transfer them in the best way in which we are minimizing tax consequences for your beneficiaries when you pass away. Mm -hmm. And that's my goal. In that meeting, in that funding meeting, I've already I've already planned it, right? But at that very last meeting with them, we're going to talk about funding and how to accomplish that. How are we transferring assets? Which assets are we not transferring? This is a whole different discussion if we have minor children, right? So we're discussing if they're uh, minors uh, and they have people in place that are going to take care of minors versus when they're, you know, not. Uh, not minors are a majority and they're going to maybe potentially receive it all at one time. You know, it just depends. So the discovery process all throughout really um, and the unfolding of the plan is is happens in that time frame. Now, if we have businesses involved, things like that, if there are certain special medical needs, things like that, different types of trusts that we need to utilize, the, pro the planning process is, gonna, is usually going to take me a couple months. Uh, and I am talking to doctors and their advisors and such, and because um, it's just a little bit more complicated. Uh, but but that's usually how long it takes. In that oh process, like because you're doing all of that, <laughs> I was gonna say uh, adult adulting so hard. I know <laughs> it is. 
So when you're doing all that, that includes an advanced directive, correct? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the basic plan will include the trust. It will include, I actually always include a pour over will. So not Mm -hmm. a last will and testament because the trust is the controlling document, but a pour over will lists your trust as your beneficiary. So if we, mm. if my clients leave my office and, and they and they forget to come back to me for certain things that I've given them a list to, you know, if you purchase new property, if you open new bank accounts, this is what we need to do. If for some reason in the interim they pass away, the, the will will let a court know that they have a will and it just pours into the trust or they have a trust and it will just pour into the trust. That will also come with uh, the financial and the medical directives. I draft because California HIPAA rules are so strict. I draft a separate HIPAA uh, disclosure privacy of medical records document so that individuals they've listed on there can access medical records without having to subpoena those records. And the other document that I draft in that starting package really is what I call it is going to be that living will. And the living will is the document in California that states if you are uh, in a permanent vegetative state. Uh, irreversible condition. Do you want to stay on life support or not? Under what terms and conditions? Is there brainstem activity? Uh, we talk about all of that within that living will. So, all I know is the last will and testament. Like, what's <laughs> a living will and what's like a uh, was it the pour over will? Can you explain that again? So, a living will actually is not uh, a question. Not one of the main documents. Living will is, is a medical document. Oh, okay. And a living mm-hmm. will, in, and this is, mm-hmm. so different states use different terminology, but in California, a living will is a document that states if you were in a permanent vegetative state, did you want to stay on life support or not, under Got what it. terms and conditions, okay? That's a living will. Mm-hmm. Last will and testament is an actual standalone document that will name who you want to take care of your estate, who are your executors to take care of your estate when you're gone, and who are your beneficiaries. But it's not a contract. It's a last, I call it a last wishes document. Mm-hmm. You can't fund or transfer any assets into it. So I always tell people, if you, and, and actually in California, if you have over, I think it's 180,000, 80 plus thousand or so now, if you don't have a trust, your assets will automatically go to probate if you have a will. And in California, that's a home, right? Mm-hmm. So in California, I always tell my clients, my first question mm-hmm. usually is, on their intake, do you own real estate property? And what's your primary residence address? Because that will tell me if they already are above that threshold or not, because it's gross Mm -hmm. estate. Mm -hmm. So a trust, again, I'm just going to compare now just for understanding purposes what a trust and will is, last will and testament. A trust is a contract in which you, you can transfer assets into it while you're alive. And so the second before you pass away, the trust owns everything. And the, or the assets within that trust, and the second after you pass away, the trust still owns it. So no one has to go through probate because probate is there. It's an arm of the judicial branch that uh, that 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 administers assets that are owned by nobody, someone that mm-hmm. passed away. So that's a trust. So the trust then, if drafted properly and no one's contesting it, doesn't have to go through probate. A will is not a typical contract. You can't transfer assets into it. So there's, no, but it has the terms of who's to receive your assets. So the second before you pass away, your assets are still in your individual name, but you have this will. TV and movies say last will and testament, but like mm-hmm. I think like that's what the media has taught us. That's what we've seen in movies. But 
as somebody who has, I, has lived through this process, the irre irrevocable trust element of it is really what's necessary. And I bring up the advanced directive because like I had family that did not want to make a choice. And that was like mm -hmm. a really hard thing to encounter when I asked my mom, do you, can you please put an advanced directive? And she said, I want to do what your dad did. My dad did not have an advanced directive. So she essentially put it in my hands. So I just oh, want gosh. people out there to know if your family does not state what their advanced directive, someone has to make the call and the someone always ends up being the children. So that yeah. is like that is my burden mm -hmm. to bear. I had to do yeah. that. But here's the Difficult. other thing about advanced directives is if you don't create an advanced directive and you are alive and you are at some point in your life are no longer a mental capacity, you don't have mental capacity, let's say mm -hmm. you have that's dementia or something mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. no one can make decisions for you, mm -hmm. not your spouse, not anyone, because you're an adult. So then the family, whoever that is, needs to go to court and get conservatorship of you, which is mm -hmm. so interesting. Difficult. The it's very really difficult involved in that. all aspects of your life, and it's expensive. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I, I practice in that area. Um, I, I would say I'm a specialist in that area at this point, but it's so extremely um, burdensome for the family versus having a contract, which is a, the power of attorney, mm -hmm. that will already state who has legal authorization to make these types of decisions for you if you do not have mental capacity. And you could take that to a doctor. You could take that to, depending on what kind you have, you take it mm -hmm. to the bank. You could take it to wherever you need to, to make decisions for that individual that gave you authorization for that. Mm -hmm. So Prior to my mom passing, I had power of attorney mm -hmm. for her financial and medical. So essentially yeah, like perfect. all of these things. And it's like, honestly, I recommend it for anybody who is yeah. our age. If you have siblings, discuss who of which are you going to take it on because if I had not had that, it would have been a pain in the ass to do anything else. Um, and I I don't know if you advise this as an attorney, but like when my dad passed away and my mom was left, I was I was proactive and I made myself the second on, on her all her financial accounts so that even though when she passed or when she got sick, I had access to the accounts. I did not need her signature to sign off checks because I was a second and I had authority to, to manage her funds because she yeah, had I cardiovascular mean, dementia. She couldn't do it. Every family is going to be different in terms of who do you put on your accounts or do you utilize the power of attorney or do you transfer accounts into the trust? There's different mm -hmm. reasons why different families are going to do it different ways. Um, mm -hmm. I always tell my family default in my office is really you're going to have a main account in which you who do you want to have access to that main account mm -hmm. whatever account that is then put them as a second because legally mm -hmm. they have the authorization to what to do whatever with that account and some families you know don't have you know only children some families correct have children yes. that maybe you don't get along so well for some yes. reason so there's different reasons to do different things but yes. at the at, at the very minimum that base plan Mm -hmm. is where I have every single family start, no matter what they have and what situation they are in in life. Um, and then we build from there. So it's always it's an ongoing process, but yeah. I know Joe asked about um, pour over will. What, did she talk about what that was? Yeah. So the pour over will will name the trust as the beneficiary. That was that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. 
So if you have a trust, the trust is going to be the controlling document. If you don't, do, and you'll have a pour of a will. But if you have just a will, it's going to be a last will and testament. Yeah. And okay. all of the provisions are within that doc. Got it. Yeah. So how much does the estate planning process typically cost? Like, um, what 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 is it like? Like, is intake free? Or like, is intake mm -hmm. the initial, like, conversation that you have generally, yeah. like, pro bono, and then you move on should the client choose to go with you? I give a 30-minute for free consultation. And um, by then they'll by then they'll know if they want to work with me and vice versa, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, and and I start my trust plans start at three thousand. Okay, that's um, um, as somebody who's had to do this, that's a really good rate. Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow. just people, okay. people, well, just well, people say, and it does go up from there. But that's always yes. going to be my base plan. But people say that's so expensive, and I always, mm -hmm. if I could make you understand how expensive it's going to be if you don't do it, then um, I'm going to yeah. tell you, I am. Um, a lot of money in with my attorney on dealing with the stuff with my parents and three grand is the great starting point. I'm just telling you. So yeah. on Kareep's <laughs> Filipinos, you need to figure it out. Look at it as an investment. It is the return, <laughs> the return on your investment is that you won't have a headache later on while yeah. you're in the middle of dealing with your grief. Because I think that is another part of the conversation that oh. um, I like people don't realize, like we're talking about it now because, you know, like we, we have foresight or hindsight and whatnot that but it's like when you're in the thick of all of this after losing a loved one and a parent, you don't want to or a parent, you don't want to be yeah. thinking about the minutia of financials, right. of real estate, of like you just lost a loved one. Like right. you mm -hmm. need to process your grief. But mm -hmm. like there's a timetable to like probate and all these things that if you don't start this process, it will just drag it out for yeah. so long. You'll be in it for years mm -hmm. if you don't if you don't make plans in advance. And and unfortunately no one can move on. No one can yeah. grieve properly until it's done. Yeah. So for folks of our in our community that have additional questions for you or they want to, you know, Sign up for a free consultation. Start there. How can we? How can they get a hold of you? Uh, so our email at the office is info at mmzlawyer.com. And then our main phone number is 909-256-6702. Oh, MMZ. Does that stand for uh, Mercedes-Benz? No? <laughs> <laughs> I initial. Uh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Madame Bad, DLP you just yeah. had to do that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, you know, I just can't have to end a very heavy type of <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I can't help with the dad jokes; it just kind of comes out. So, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Marivel. Thank, thank you. We hope that you enjoyed that episode with our guest, Maribel Zielcita to talk to you all about estate planning and financial wellness in collaboration with our hosts from This Filipino American Life, Elaine Dolales and Joe Bernardo. For next month, we will be talking with Cheryl Cambe, Colleen Capistrano, and Russell Ramirez about substance abuse and recovery. This episode will air during our Wellness Wednesdays on November 15th. 
As we close, we'd like to acknowledge once again our guest speaker, Maribel Zielcita of MMZ Law, our graphic designer and beat maker for our opening and closing track, Richie. We didn't have a break track for this episode, as you noticed, as it was a special collaboration with This Filipino American Life, one of our community partners. We'd also like to thank our advisors, Alison De La Cruz, Rian De Los Reyes, and Safo Logo, another community partner, Trek Table, and all of our community members for your shares and support. As always, we'll share more about our guest speakers' offerings on our Instagram stories and highlights for permanent access with any of their upcoming events. Be sure to follow us at Philippine X and Wellness on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and on, on X at Philippine X, the letter N, well, followed by the letters N and S. We also have a thread account, so go to our Instagram profile to follow us there. Don't forget to continue to hit the subscribe button on our Philippine X and Wellness YouTube channel. Thank you always for believing in us. Be well, everyone. Continue to take care of yourselves and each other. Durugid ng salamat.